Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Courtside with Beelance and Tennis, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. What a remarkable two weeks it was, and three weeks for one person in particular. We had two teenagers on the women's side take the tennis world by storm, and one individual on the men's side chasing history. I'm thrilled to have my co-host and Hall of Famer Steve Flink on with me tonight to recap it all. Steve, remarkable couple weeks, huh? Absolutely. It, it, you know, obviously it was an outstanding, uh, I, I would even use the word scintillating first week. It was just, uh, we, as we had previously discussed, we just got some blockbuster early round matches that carried the first week and made it so much more compelling than usual. And it, it's, and we don't ordinarily get that because of 32 seeds, but this time around, that was no issue whatsoever. And then of course we had a really nice finish to the tournament too. I would say, when we get, we, we'll get to it in more depth. I would say the men's final was something of a letdown in the sense that we, we thought we were going to get a more gripping, hard fought, closer match one way or another. And we didn't, but that's, uh, that's the way it played out. It was, it was a great two weeks, David. I was, I was glad to get out there a few times at the end to see it in person. Yeah. And it, I was happy you were out there to experience it. Well, you've been there so many years. Um, it's so great that, that you got to experience that in person. Um, let's start, if you don't mind, we'll start with the women's semifinals. Um, the, the only thing uh, that really kind of uh, surprised me, I was going with the two veterans. I thought, you know, you look at Sabalenka versus Fernandez. Sabalenka, the way she plays, it's, it, she always controls the match, right? Just with her power. If she's on, she's going to be extremely hard to beat. If she's spraying balls all over the place and, and making errors left and right, then obviously her opponent has a chance. Um, Layla Fernandez took big, big advantage of that. Um, that was a surprise, and I'll let you speak to it on a minute. The other surprise to me was um, Maria Sakri over um, when she was playing Raducanu. After Ash lost, Sakari was my pick. Um, if you remember, Sakari had seven break points the first two return games of that match. The first return game was Love 40. Yeah. Uh, again, I, I I was picking the favorite. They they physically were both stronger than the than the two teenagers, and I was surprised with the outcome uh, of both those matches that the two teen, teenagers won. Yeah, I was too. I was too. Uh, a, a little less so with Sabalenka because she self destructs so easily. I didn't know what to expect. But having said that, David, uh, she got off to such a spectacular start nothing but winners uh, and, and great serving and finding the corners on her serve and just blowing her off the court. And, you know, Fernandez didn't have much of a say in the match at all. And then, you know, you, 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 if you're a Sabalenka fan, you're pulling your hair out because just when you think she has her game utterly, totally under control, she starts making rashes of errors again and double falling. So she led her back in the set. Listen, don't get me wrong because we know Fernandez is a, is a really terrific match player and she solves problems on the court beautifully and she knows how to counter and knows how to exploit openings but so much of that first set had to do with Sabalinka, you know going from brilliance to shall we say less than brilliance and 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 beating herself unbeatable to beating herself is how I would put it and yeah. and then she eventually lost it in the tie break but really, she, first set should have been hers. Then she did come back and win the second. And the third one went down to the wire. But sure enough, in the last game of the match, Sabalenka implodes again with the double faults and the errors. So it, you're right. your original statement is so true. It, it does largely come down to her in most of her matches about whether she's hitting the winners at the right times, 
and serving well under pressure or not because this was yet and you saw her afterwards they had her on a shot of her from the locker room where she just was distraught and I, I I have a great sympathy for her because we know she's a great player but she does this to she brings it on herself I don't mean that in a mean-spirited way but somehow she's got to find a little bit more of a middle ground while still hitting a lot of winners but have some safety net in her game which is just not there at the moment so Yet another big match gets away from her. I understood it better, frankly, at Wimbledon when she lost to a great server in Pliskova on a grass court. Uh, that one, I just think she got outplayed and, and couldn't handle Pliskova's serve consistently. But this time I thought the match really was more under her control and she was unable to get the job done. Yeah, uh, uh, well said. Uh, uh, perfect summary of, of what actually did occur. Um, uh, the, the second semi, Again, I thought, especially um, Sakari, you you saw that unbelievable match she played in the semis of the French. She had opportunities to get to the final there. I thought this was her time. I really thought um, once Ash lost, I, I felt strongly in my pick. And um, she started out beautifully. I mean, she had seven break points in the first two games, unfortunately. Those games, yeah. You've referenced it twice now, and you're so right to do that because those, that was so critical. If Sakari could have gotten off to a – gotten uh, secured one of those breaks – or both, but let's yeah. just give her one. Let's just give her one and get a little bit of an early lead I, because it completely got away from her after that. She seemed somehow unsettled in the beginning too. And they were talking about how she may have, the, maybe her skirt didn't well, the fit. The skirt right. was too big, yeah. Big and that maybe she'd have to go back to the lock on, but she never really got going. Second set was a little tighter and she hung in there a little better and saved herself from break points down a few times. So it was a good effort. Uh, to, but I was disappointed in her performance. Meantime, Raducanu was, she made a believer out of me that round, I have to say, because now I'm just saying, wait a second, we've talked about the good draw, but now she's playing some, some really accomplished players and she's, she is not in awe of them at all. And she's showing that she can still control the climate of the match largely with her depth and her ball control and her just her good kind of instincts, good strategic acumen. I don't know where it comes from at that at 18, 19 years old, but she, she's got it. And uh, I, 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 uh, that's when I thought she was going to win the tournament. Why, once she beat Sakari, I, I thought she would beat Fernandez in the final based on, on what I'd seen thus far. And as it turned out, that, that was right. Well, what an interesting final we had. We had um, Branley new 19 year old uh, Lila Fernandez, who, yeah. by the way, to get to the final, beat the third seed, Naomi Osaka, the 16th seed and former Grand Slam champion, Angelique Kerber, the fifth seed, Svitolina, and the second seed, Sabalenka. I mean, what and, a road. Can we, add, can we add to Kerber? I mean, let's not shortchange her. You're right, former Grand Slam champ, but won this tournament five years ago. Yeah. Won, won Australian and won Wimbledon. She's won three of the four majors. It's unbelievable. She's a player, and she was back in form, David, recently coming off the the great Wimbledon and, and playing well over the summer. So you had to believe that going in, she liked her chances and uh, it wasn't enough, even though she led by a set and four, two, uh, Layla, Layla found a way past her with, with really spirited run the last set and a half in that match. Yeah, she did. And, and again, her opponent, Emirata Kanu, I mean, she didn't have to go through that type of draw to get to the final but she had to get through three qualifying matches. At this point, she had to win six matches in the main draw, had not lost a set. The closest was 7-5. Um, yeah. 
no one in a million years, no one in a, a, in a million years would have ever picked this final. No one. I mean, not, there's not one person who, who would have picked these two to play in the U S open final. Here it is. Um, facts are, you know, like you said, Ronda Connor just played better. I mean, she just played better than Layla during the match. She did. She, she, uh, she had the early break and Layla typical of Layla and her feistiness and her combativeness. And I mean that by the way, as a compliment because she's, she's a really fierce competitor and she keeps coming back at you. So she did break back early, but finally in the end, uh, Raducanu was able to seal that set six, four, and it was not easy. This was a long match for straight sets. Yeah. Close to two hours. And, and I, uh, I thought Raducanu did a good job to sort of regain the ascendancy, you know, from midway through in the first set to close it out six, four. And her second serve returns, David, were terrific. I just thought she returned better than Fernandez. And I think one of the reasons why Fernandez's first serve percentage was so low was the fear of what her opponent was going to do to her second serve. She was so aware of the trouble she could be in if she didn't get the first serve in. So that was a nicely played first set. And then uh, second set, 2-1 down. And then Raducanu really took over for four games and almost closed her out 6-2. And then, of course, we had the bleeding on the knee and I thought that, how did you read that, David? My Yeah, so uh, one yeah. instant before that, you know, she, um, Rana Connor had two match points on Fernandez's serve up 5-2. Didn't get it. I finally felt, yeah. you know, when you're down so much, you could finally maybe say, you know what? I got to just swing, you know, loosen up your shoulders, go for your shots. I think Fernandez started to do that. Um, she held. Um, then has that break point on, on Emma's serve at 30-40. Emma scraped her knee. Needed a medical timeout. The rule is clear. Needed to stop. Yes, um, of course, of course. Emma did win that very next point um, to get it to deuce. But then Fernandez had another break point. Yes, so she I'm did. I'm glad that no one could but, ever say, oh, that totally changed the momentum of the match. Fernandez no, did have another break point. No, but my question to you, I, 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 and that was very impressive. The, the, the details you're running off explaining right there, I show you how tough Raducanu was because – the two match points at 5-2, one of them was not. She missed a backhand on the run that was a pretty tough shot. But the other was a forehand on force that surprised me. And yeah. so she could have been sitting there with a the medical timeout saying, why is this match not over already and getting tense? And she did a terrific job to come back out there, save the break point again, and then uh, end the match with an ace out wide in the ad court. I mean, I think she's thoroughly deserved. As you noticed, David, the crowd started coming round to Fernandez. And I also didn't, I was a little bit perplexed by Fernandez's reaction to the medical timeout. She didn't seem to understand what was going on there. That it was really a, that this was not somebody just trying to throw her off with games and chip, but I, maybe she couldn't see the bleeding from the far side. No, I, don't know. I think if I was in her, she, the momentum was starting to slightly turn and she did not want to pause. Once you, I mean, it, yeah. again, she had saved a couple match points. She wanted this thing going as quickly as she could. Um, oh, I, I think that. that's why she was disturbed. Oh, yeah, I understand what you're saying. I'm saying, though, but I think you need to respect your opponent in a situation like that and realize she she had to do that. I, yeah. Frankly, I don't think Raducanu, I, I think they both would have liked to have kept going. I don't think Raducanu liked having to do that, but, but it, you know, you can't be playing with your leg bleeding that way. But yeah. I think it was a fitting result given the way Raducanu had played not only that day but the whole tournament. And And now I'm fascinated to see what these two will do going forward that's going to be uh, a challenge because people are going to be gunning for them now they have seen their games now it's it's almost like the the second or third time the starting pitcher sees the the uh you know the the rotation of the hitters right um 
women's tennis is so wide open and this did not, uh, <laughs> this just was another example of so, showing how wide open it is. Um, well, I'm with you know you. I, I hear you entirely on that. And that always worries me in a sense that, you know, the musical chairs and, not, and always having new major championships. Having said that, I'm very, I am encouraged about both of them because they're so, you know, 18 and 19 respectively, you know, there's, they're both going to improve so uh, immensely in the next couple of years. They're only starting to tap into their talent right now. So even though you're right that the scouting reports will go out and other players will know more about their games and they'll be gunning for them. I think these two should be up to the task because I think they're going to get a lot better. So what I'm hoping, David, is that in the year 2026, we're watching them play their fifth major final against each other. Something could, like very that. Very well could happen. <laughs> very well could happen. Well, good luck to anyone who keeps trying to predict uh, women's tournaments because, again, it is so, so wide open. There's so many great players that can win it. Um, I want to transfer now to uh, the men's side. And if we start with the semis, one semi was pretty straightforward. That was Daniil Medvedev versus uh, Felix Agier. Ali Asim, the only thing there that could have changed the course of the match. Felix could, should have won that second set, I, I felt. Oh, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. 5-3-30 love double fall, which was And awful that changes because. the course of the match if he wins that set. It can change Well, yeah. So he first the double fall, the 30 love, which is, which is baffling because of the fact that, as you know, David, Dan Daniel's strategy is not to stand in close and rifle second serve returns. It's to still hang way back and just get the return back deep and start trying to work the point from there. So you really don't need to fear even if you don't hit a great second serve, that he's going to kill you with a return. Uh, he'll get it back, and you're going to have to work. But that was disappointing. Then he had two set points later. And and the, the sad part was that Felix then, after the second set point got away, he lost 15 out of 17 points, and the set was gone from there. Two more points. And and then you knew he was gone in the third. And, and Medvedev, to his credit, talked about that game after the match and said, you know, well, if it goes to one set all – you never know where the match goes from there. He's very fair-minded about it. I, I think he still would have won, but it would have been nice to see Felix in the match that way and at one set all and trying to see what, what he could do with that boost that he would have received. So that the match really fell apart after that. And Medvedev was playing with clinical efficiency. And once he, once he got his teeth back into it, he wasn't going to let go. But I think we should have had a four-setter there. Yeah, I, I agree with you. The other semi was um, the one that I think a lot of people penciled in uh, when they first saw the draw was Novak versus Sasha Zverev. It was the rematch from the Olympics. Uh, Novak again dropped the first set, but as he did in his previous matches, um, responded very quickly, took the second set. The third set was so key. And how could we not talk about this match uh, without talking about the 53 ball rally? Zverev down 1540, serving to stay in that third set. Zverev won that point, but lost the next one to lose that set. And and I think he David, David, can I just interrupt for a second if I may? Absolutely. So true what you said, but I just wouldn't use the word lost the next point, only because Novak won it. In other words, it, I, to his credit, Sasha continued to play well. The next point was a hard fought point, and, and Novak had Sasha at a position to slice that forehand back short cross court, maybe hoping that Novak would miss the approach off a low ball. But no, Novak made a perfect approach, put away an overhead, and, and that was the set. And he raised his arms, and 
uh, I think that was a that, that you're so right to cite the third set and the end of the third set, particularly with the 53 stroke rally and all the points in that game. That was really that was really yeah, that was the most fascinating juncture of the match. And yet, despite that, despite Novak winning this set that was so and he'd saved three break points early. So uh, he'd done a great job to salvage that set that Sasha came back, got an early break in the fourth and made that one count to take it into a fifth. I, I was surprised. I thought, especially after losing a, a crucial game, it takes so much out yeah. of you. You know, you usually see the great ones kind of run away with the fourth set. Um, you see it with Rafa all the time when Rafa would play guys, he'd play unbelievable for a set or two set, then, you know, walk over them the next, the, but the final Novak, set. But. Yeah. Novak explained though, David, that he felt that, I mean, it was a tough break because he had a few game points there. One all, if he could have held and kept holding, but once he got down the break, yeah, he said that Sasha's it's it's very hard to break back against him from a breakdown, and that proved to be the case. And Novak got it to do a few, you know, he had a few minor openings, but couldn't make anything of it because Sasha was still playing too well. But then, to me, the the second most remarkable phase of that match, aside from the five four game of the third, was Novak's first five games of the fifth. Yeah. At, uh, so at, so before we get to that, I thought after the four set, to me, I thought. This was the first time that Novak actually may have felt match pressure. Like he could lose a match. We talked about his previous matches. He lost the first set, you know, three or four of them in a row previously, but I myself, and I think most tennis fans were never really worried that Novak may actually lose this match. This was the first instance where I thought, okay, he's feeling match pressure. Now let's see how he reacts. And boy, did he react in a big way? Like you were saying. Yeah, so to get to your point, I think he, one would have thought that, but he started the fifth with such total self-assurance and inner conviction. And then next thing you knew, he's at five love at the cost of six points, and he's just played impeccably. And then to Sasha's credit, he didn't let Novak serve, you know, Sasha held, and then he didn't let Novak serve it out at five when Novak had a couple of deuces in that game, but couldn't close him out and ended up double folding to make it five, two. And now it was getting interesting again. You know, I never really thought Sasha could come all the way back, but it could have potentially been a nerve-wracking game for Novak serving for the match a second time. So what does he do? He he changes ends of the court. They go to the changer. He goes back out, and he breaks Sasha for the third time that set. So yeah. it, it, it was a really remarkable performance from Djokovic to win the fifth set in that fashion, given how well Zarev had played through, throughout. It really was. And I'm thinking of the Andy Roddick quote, you know, first he takes your legs and then he takes your soul. And I was thinking about that when it was five zero in the fifth set. I'm like, Oh my God. But, yeah. um, but again, I thought the professionalism of Zarev to not, you know, you're sitting there to change over knowing you're down five love. It took a lot of pride to just to go out and hold the one time, but then to break them. Uh, you know, I, I, I think that was, that was impressive to me. That, that said a lot about his professionalism and, and his determination to, to, to hang in there at that stage after all he'd been through. Uh, 100% agree. And, and here we are. We got one match to go for uh, history. The first time since Rod Laver uh, accomplished the, the Grand Slam in 1969. Um, you know, previously... Uh, you know, before I think the draw was even out, um, I picked Daniil Medvedev as, as a, my, I just tried to do something different than you and Tracy. Obviously, you and Tracy both picked Novak as long as the rest of the tennis world did. I just tried to do something different. Um, but then on our previous pod, I said, if Novak's going to lose, 
he better lose before the final because yeah. I think if he gets to the final, he's going to win. And I and, and I want to set this up and then I want to hear your thoughts on it. Um, and again, it's maybe my psychology background that that has me so intrigued with when, when there's scenarios like this. Getting Novak for Novak to get to the last match, all he had to do was play. There was no more preparation. There were no more other matches he had to think of. All the hard work was behind him. You start on a blank slate at the beginning of the year. He wins the Australian Open. Never easy to win a slam. He then wins a miraculously brutal French Open, one he's had to win a couple five-setters, down two sets to love. He has to also beat Rafa, who, again, no one wins the French practically ever. Rafa has owned this title. He's now the heavy favorite. Although He's now the heavy favorite at Wimbledon. He gets through that. And now all eyes on him and the pressure is building each and every match. And he's thinking about this, thinking about this, thinking about this. He's finally made the final. All that is done. All he has to do is now play. And the outcome was different. Okay. Just a quick, uh, to go back briefly to Paris, not only did he make the two comebacks from two sets of love down, but to be down a set to Nadal on clay is almost as bad as being down two sets to love against anybody else. And he lost that first set in Paris. So there's another example, right? And Wimbledon only two sets more straightforward that that tournament. It's a good point you're making, David, but I think to to balance it, it's also suddenly it's staring you in the face. It it was easier to take it match by match until the final, but suddenly now you realize the 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 enormous implications of this match, incomparable to any match you've ever played in your career. And there you are, and it's it's right there, and you're playing the guy that you played in the Australian Open final, hoping to replicate that win that he had and that was so convincing over Daniel in in Melbourne, which was seven five six two six two. And uh, I just think it could have worked the way you described that he was able. I'm to so do- glad you described how you described it because there's two sides to it. It's it's just yeah, so no, but someone looks worked, at it. It could have worked as you said, and I thought. Going in, there was a good possibility it would, that he would look at it as, I, I've, I've been through so much, but now here I am, and I know how to win these finals, and this is, this is there for the taking, I'm going to take it. And you heard him say on the Friday night, before after the Sasha semi, I'm going to treat this match like it's the last one, told Patrick McEnroe, like it's the last one I'll ever play. And, and yet he wasn't able to bring that kind of a performance. I think what happened is it was a combination of the, overwhelming pressure that he'd been facing for so long. And that now, now that last match was upon him and physically something was, was off. I don't mean an injury because I, because if there'd been an injury, I think we would have seen the trainer. I don't think for a second, there was one specific injury, but I think he was worn out emotionally and physically because look at the way he played the match, David, we can get to the details, but look at the way he, he played. Okay. There was a lot of serving and volleying. That was fine because Daniel's so far back for the returns against the fence. You swing him wide, you close in, and Novak was often able to just put away the first volley or often as often as that just elicit an error on the return of serve with a well-placed angled serve. But then he also tried to come in a lot otherwise. He approached a lot in, in times you didn't think he would, maybe from too deep a position. And Daniel was so on to that, and his passing shots were, were terrific right at Novak's feet. Yeah, his two-shot passing shot. That first one, you dip it at yeah. their feet, and then Novak has to volley up, and then the second yeah. one is where you pass. We teach yeah, that to our kids 
all the time. Juniors, we teach that to juniors all the time. It's not the first passing shot. It's yeah. the second passing shot. So true. And he did that beautifully. But my point is that Novak was kind of predictable with that pattern. And you wondered, why is he not willing to engage in the, the customary long rallies he usually has with Danielle and show him that he's the stronger one? Not, not that he's going to win every long rally. It's like the Sasha rally, the 53-stroker you mentioned. Sasha wins it with a winner. But right. Novak still felt he had punished him a lot. And I would have thought this is how he wanted to. But it told me that later he said after the match that he had no legs and he had no serve. And, and that was, by the way, that was balanced by some very nice compliments to how well Medvedev played. He didn't blame it all on himself or no. put it under his own deficiencies entirely. But that was revealing what he said, because then it explained to me why he played what was such an atypical match. Uh, in terms of how the patterns and how he approached it and the way he played. And it's and, not like he didn't have any opportunities. He had some break points early in that second set um, that yeah. he did not take advantage of. Um, yeah, he had love 40. He had love 40 to go up to love. So then at that moment, you're thinking, my God, this is going to be just like the Berrettini match. It's going to be just like the Zarev match. This is this is becoming deja vu all over again. And he yet, also had break points in the fourth game of that second set. This second yeah, set. yeah. But first, the love 40, you know, that was disappointing to him because he, 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 he chased a drop shot down at love 40 for two love and sliced it. He instead sliced of forehand, sliced forehand cross court. So not only going cross court, but, you know, you're hitting with slice and Daniel was able to pass him down the line. And that was not normal Novak. And then he lost the next point. And then on the third one. The 30, 40 point, he just sliced it back into the net and was furious with himself, smacking his chest, just really angry with himself for giving that one away. And Daniel gets out of it. And then, of course, two more break points that could have given him three one. And Daniel hit a great backhand down the line on one of them. I give him credit. But that we normally if if this match had gone the way of the previous two or three, you know, and Novak gets that break either time. And he speculated on this himself. Who's to know? And of course, we, what we haven't even discussed is this crowd was euphorically behind Novak in a way that he's never experienced in New York, ever. Nothing close to that. So just think of the lift they could have given him had he been playing well, had he been succeeding more and getting up these breaks. They would have been cheering him on so vociferously. It, would have, it could have made a big difference and would have been all that much harder on Daniel, who had to deal with them, but deal with them while he was almost he was always in front. Right. So those two, but the two games you mentioned and Novak brought those up too, without even being asked, those were critical because those are the only real chances he had until he broke Daniel at, toward the end when Daniel served for the match the first time and the crowd was going wild and little did he, we know it, but Daniel was about to be suffering from cramps, uh, which, which he didn't explain until afterwards. I, but, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, we saw him start. It's always tough to close out a match, especially one in a grand slam final, your first final started double fall quite a bit when he had some match points. And he uh, did, he did. And the crowd was cheering them, which was tough on Daniel. But part of it was, I think he wanted to go for very big second serves because he, I don't, he, he wasn't entirely clear on exactly when the cramps started, but definitely was bothering him when he served the match for the match the second time at five, four. And he talked about how relieved he was that he got a first serve in on that last match point when Novak missed the return. Yeah. But you wonder what, what, how it might have played out if somehow Novak had got back to five all. And how, because I have to say, David, he alluded to another match Daniel did playing Gofan in the finals of Cincinnati a couple of years ago when he also cramped. 
And in each case, I saw the go find match and obviously this one, he is very good at hiding it. I mean, yes, he walked a little funny. It's true. I guess if you look at the tape, you can see something's a little strange in his walk, but not the reaction of someone who normally, a normal reaction to somebody having cramps. And I'm not saying he's making it up. I don't believe for a second that he's making up, but I'm saying it must have been a form of cramps that was a little bit more manageable than it is for some players. Because you see the what they look like as they yeah. try to walk it off. And, and it's just no get, you know exactly what it is. His was... He did it and, and good for him because you don't ever want your opponent to know that that's going on. But it would have been fascinating had the match gone on a little longer to see how he would have dealt with it. Yeah. Well, Daniel came very, very close in 2019 playing that amazing final against um, Rafa. And he and he won his first major yesterday. Um, he denied Novak Djokovic history. Um, that being said, I mean, to go 27 out of 27, a lot of people, not a lot, but there have been other people who have won three out of four, but not a lot of people were 27 for 27 with one more match on the line. There was not a lot of. Uh, listen, that alone was a remarkable accomplishment. Well, what it'd be interesting to hear. And Novak was very good after the match and he lauded Daniel and he explained what he thought went wrong from his end and how he did make a reference to the fact that, you know, maybe that gathering pressure uh over time and you know it could have and he was very relieved now that the whole thing was done and you know he wasn't thinking about it anymore but i think in the months ahead and years ahead we may we will later hear more about his psyche that day that'd be what, interesting to hear Inter what led to the court and because it was so apparent david even in the first game of the match 40 15 and he loses his serve from 40 15 then he nearly lost his serve a second time in the third game just, I know we had some some difficult first sets this tournament, but this is the finals. You kind of thought, you know, he was so aware of the first set difficulties he had had ever since Kay Nishikori and moving right on through Brooksby and then, of course, through the matches against Berrettini and Zara. But you, you didn't expect to see him start the final like, like that, especially losing the serve from 40-15 in that first game. So I, I thought there were signs very early and, and the movement. Yeah. The uh, You know, the fact that he wasn't even I know he struggled to break Sasha in the first set of their match, but it was wasn't quite like this. He was just nowhere near getting on to Daniel's serve. And no, I thought he seemed a little slow off the mark going for that. So there's no doubt that physically he was sluggish and, and there was no one worse to play against on a day like that than at top of the line peak form Medvedev, who, who, who is very good at sensing what's going on with his opponent and mapping his mapping out the match in his mind and knowing exactly what he wants to do if he's allowed to do it. And he was allowed to do it. No doubt yeah. about it. He, he was terrific and he deserved it. And now we got, we have to wonder where does he go from here now that he finally has his first major team got his at this tournament last year. Now he was very unlucky this year, David, with some of the mental struggles he went through and then definitely the physical part that's kept him out for the rest of the year. Uh, and, and hopefully he will be back in the winner's circle, but I'm convinced that Medvedev will, will be. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, a lot of people um, were, were saying, oh, this magic number of Novak, maybe 25, 25, maybe I, I'd slow down on that number a little bit. Every year it's going to get a little bit harder. Oh, These younger no. guys are coming up now and they now have belief. Dominic team, like you said, is one, one Medvedev won once. There's no doubt Sasha's Varev is going to win one. The 25 number is a large number. Um, it'll be interesting to see what Novak ends up with at the end of his career. No, well, listen, that's one of the reasons why when we were having, you and I were having, when we have one of our discussions, I think it was with Tracy, that 
you know, it, you were speculating and maybe Novak could get himself in this position again. And I just don't think so. Uh, I, but I do. And, and, and you're absolutely right about how hard it could be to get to 25. I'm just convinced he certainly has, he definitely has at least a few more in him. And I, I think that the question will be how long does he want to push himself? What's Rafa's status with retirement or not? Roger, very good chance, almost certain not to win another. It would be a miraculous accomplishment to win a major at 40. Uh, so I think he's going to, his eyes going to be predominantly on Rafa. And I mean, for instance, next year at the French, let's see what happens. I mean, if yeah, Rafa that's what I said. Like the motivation for Novak is going to be interesting because uh, it's that second slam of the year. That was so hard for anyone other than Rafa to get. Right. right. Um, it, it, it it's so hard to get in this position again. Like I said, even though if Rafa maybe maybe he's not as healthy as he was, and maybe he doesn't play it one year, maybe there's another opportunity there. But um, to get to 27 out of 27, and he's got one more. I mean, it, it was it well, was remarkable to see. Yeah, I'm sorry, David. Didn't mean to interrupt. It, it's it's the whole thing about that slam, winning the grand. If he had won the grand slam. I think he probably would have almost shut down for the rest of this year. I, I'm not even sure he would have played after the open had he won that, because I just think he would need time to kick back and, and may, maybe he just would take the rest of the year off and be gearing up for Australia. We'll never know. Now his, his priorities have to change a bit because he's still at 20. That would have put him at 21 and he'd be ahead. So, right. and with the grand slam, he'd know that most, most fair-minded uh, historians would look at that as, you know, if, if he ties Rafa in the end and Rafa got one more French and they both had 21, that if Novak had had the Grand Slam, that would be the separating factor for sure. Now he, he doesn't have that, but he still has that. He'll have even more drive to add a few, at least a few more to stay ahead of Rafa, to yeah. get ahead of Rafa and stay ahead of Rafa is what I should say. So he'll definitely be very fired up to win a 10th Australian. To, to, to start, you know, to do it right there, to get number 21 and have the lead going into Roland Garros. Because if it's still tied after Australia, Rafa could actually possibly take the lead again by winning Roland Garros and the pressure's then back on Novak to start winning a Wimbledon or an Open. Another point I'd like to make, David, that's, that's kind of a shocker and nobody talks about this. Here's a guy that's won nine Australian Open titles, never lost a final. He's only lost one Wimbledon final. He is three and six in U.S. Open finals. That, to me, is just astounding for someone as great as Novak on a hard court as he's already shown us in Melbourne. And there are a lot, maybe a lot of reasons for it, but he, he, he probably should have five or six U.S. Opens by now. You know, whether or not you include this one on the list or it doesn't matter. It, he, it, it's, it's not a record you would expect Djokovic to have, a three and six on, on a court that suits him so well. I want to um, end this. There's a couple of shout outs real quickly. Um, we talked about the two teenagers on the women's side. Um, shout out Katie McNally and Coco Goff. They made the finals of doubles. Um, we've had Katie's coach, Kevin O'Neill, on the pod before. Kevin's a great guy. Um, Coco probably not. I mean, probably disappointed that she didn't make it further uh, in, in this draw. She had a tough draw, too. I mean, she played Sloan and then depending if she'd won that match. If you looked at the draw on paper, it was going to be very tough, but I wanted to give them a, a shout out. Um, I also want to end on a particular image that really kind of affected me. But before I do that, I want to ask you for any of your parting thoughts uh, 
with this miraculous U.S. Open? Because you said the first week when we did our episode last week, I, you saw how fired up I was. I'd never seen a first week like that. No, there wasn't. There hasn't been. And I think there's kind of widespread uh, agreement on that from the likes of Brad Gilbert to Lindsay Davenport to so many others who, who have said the same thing. And uh, you really couldn't top it. Then I, I think we had a very good second week as well. I think the most memorable being Zarev and, and uh, Novak in that semi that we discussed that, that that was that you wish that could have been the final because of the, you know, being five sets high quality. And I just think that the women's final for a straight set match was the most entertaining that I can think of. I can, there are so many straight set finals I've watched among between veterans at the U S open that weren't nearly as, as riveting as this one. And the crowd was really immersed in it. And the, the players considering it's their first major final, both of them, they acquitted themselves really honorably. So I, I mean, all, all told, the only thing we could have asked for was a, a better men's final in the sense that we had a, a, a top of the line Medvedev and a Djokovic who was far below uh, his best. So, but that's a minor complaint because the tournament overall was, was gripping. Unbelievable. Yeah. Very well said. Um, I, I'll leave you with this and, and I'll ask you for, for your thoughts on it as well. Um, the image of Novak crying in his towel at, at one of the very last changeovers. And it, it gives me chills thinking about it right now. Um, I think it was a combination of a bunch of things, the intense pressure, the intense buildup. None of us will really know what, what went into that. But again, to be 27 for 27 and he had one more match and the realization that it's looking like it's not going to happen. That's one. Number two, as you stated earlier, the appreciation of that New York crowd, which he's wanted really badly. It showed immensely um, yesterday's match. And, and it was such a, it was a really, really cool moment. It was out of respect. Um, I don't think anybody liked, no one liked seeing him uh, crying to that towel, but it was, it was so pure. That picture was so, that moment was so pure that all of the emotions at that moment seemed to be pouring out of him. If there's a tennis picture of the year, that should be it. You described it beautifully. And it was, it was a very poignant moment. And I think it's another example, though, David, because he, he got past his tears. He finished the match. He, he, as usual, was very sporting at the net. And he, probably even more importantly, his remarks in the press conference were just very, very classy. And he went out of his way to say, Daniel's a nice guy. He deserves this. He did very well. I mean, he balanced his own self-criticism with, with high praise for his opponent. And it was not he wasn't lost in a sea of self-pity. And I think he proved once again that he really is, in the, to me, in the truest sense of the word, he is a sportsman. Yes, he smashed his racket during the match once. He smacked his chest another time. I don't think that should be held over him when you weigh all of the other factors about how he greets the opponent at the net and what he says after the match. And I don't think anybody does either one of those better than Novak Djokovic. And this was clearly, has to be the most penetrating defeat of, of his career considering the implications and look Without how he doubt. And look how he handled it so that will be one of the things the lasting uh, images I will take with me is just his the whole way he conducted himself in defeat what a year of slams and especially dealing with with a pandemic that we're still not quite out of um, no. 
kudos to everyone in the tennis world to, to get through. There's still tennis to be done. Steve, thank you to you. We, you and me, we got through the four slams together <laughs> doing these episodes. Um, you know how much fun I'm having doing it with you. I, I hope you're having as much fun as I am. And, and we're looking at, we still have more pods to do this year and looking forward to uh, 2022. Cause as you said, there's still a race of finals. We got three of the best still deadlocked at 20. David, I'm just going to have three more words back at you. <laughs> Thanks very much. <laughs> we'll talk soon. Thanks. Thanks.